So I mentioned earlier the awareness factor when it comes to business that comes with experience. Like I reflect on my older businesses um, and I'm like, well, I could have done so many different things better. And when I started talking to people, they really gave me a lot of perspective on what I can be improving on the current business. And I'm like, oh, like that's such a simple fix and um, I'm not doing it. And I think that just comes with, with time and talking to people who are way ahead of you. All right, you're listening to the Deal Closers podcast brought to you by WebsiteClosers.com, a show about how to build your e-commerce business to be profitable, scalable, and one day even sellable. I'm Isaac Porter, and on the show today, Website Closers, Doug Grindstaff, Lenny Farber, and I chat with John Rodriguez, a college student who told his parents he was taking a gap year, a gap year where he built an entire e-commerce business to millions in revenue and sold it all working out of his parents' home. In helping to sell John's company, we've gotten to know him very well over the past year. And he reminds me of another guest on the Deal Closers podcast, Vilen Abramahan. Like Vilen, John learned how to build an e-commerce business through YouTube University, but that also included quite a bit of trial and error. There's probably like eight different businesses that I tried before I found any sort of success. Um, it ranged from like home goods to pet products to everything in between. And the first one that gave me some success was a soccer product. And I ran that, created my own ads, used some direct response sort of marketing. And that was the first thing that ever gave me traction. I heard someone say, and that's kind of what um, kept me on the path was someone who was doing well in the space and the e-com space said that they don't know anyone who has stuck around for more than a couple years who isn't doing well in business. So I was like, okay, if I just stay on the path and continue to try, continue to fail and learn from those failures, eventually I will come across something. John would eventually come up with something. He thought it would be a soccer product he was selling, and that got quite a bit of traction in terms of sales. But sales didn't mean success this time, but they led to more lessons. It's a long laundry list, but we can start with the product. So the product was defective. Um, I didn't realize that until I had some customer complaints. Um, regarding the product and uh, it could have been easy tweak where I could have just talked to suppliers and fix that but I decided to ditch the entire business and I shut that entire business down instead of just like solving that problem that was one thing um, a lot of different offer testing well, I didn't do any sort of offer testing same with um, the advertising itself there's so many different things in the ads and the marketing that uh, I didn't even know I could do that I should have done um, that would have helped the business as a whole Right. And the entire customer experience could have been so much better. Right. But you, you took those experiences, right? You learned from them. You came up with a new, ultimately a, a brand new product and, and it starts to take off. So like, at what point did you know the business that you ultimately sold? At what point did you know that that was going to be successful? And what did, that, what did that feel like to get your first taste of like scaling? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... Maybe you've experienced this as well, um, but sometimes you just have this hunch, this feeling that something's going to do really well. And I had this feeling leading up to the start of the business that eventually ended up um, selling recently. I don't know why that feeling came along, but it was just this feeling of like knowing that it was going to work. 
John, can you can you give us a quick timeline? Because I think one thing that's really impressive, and we'll probably get to it later, is the growth that you had with the company that we helped you exit in mm-hmm. such a short period of time. So can you tell us kind of what did it look like on those eight failures? Did they happen within six months while you were in college? Or what did that look like before you ultimately founded your most recent brand? Yeah, so the timeline starts July 2019. That's when I had just finished the summer semester and I came across that video that I mentioned earlier. Dropped out of college two weeks after seeing that video. And then so I told my parents I was taking a gap semester. But and how old I was, were you? I was 21, I think. And then so that stretch was like eight months or so before I had any sort of success in e-commerce. And that was that one store in April 2020 that got traction, ran it for a few months, decided to close that. And then the business that sold recently started in July 2020. Okay. So you dropped out of college to follow this dream of, of, of a being a successful e-commerce entrepreneur. And then it takes, it takes you eight months to get your first kind of real traction that's going to be scalable, mm-hmm. um, which probably puts you into 2020, if right. I'm following the time right. And now it's 2023, and you've just had a phenomenally successful exit. Uh, what did those eight months feel like? Did you, did you ever think like, oh, I screwed up during those eight months? Or were you steadfast in your conviction of like, this is the right, the right path? Yeah, so I knew that it was the right path, but it was difficult because I was living with my, with my parents at the at that time. And my parents, incredible people, love them to death. But uh, they come from a different generation where they don't understand that there's other ways to do well in life besides school. So I had a lot of conversations with my parents saying like, hey, look, you got to trust me on this one. I'm going to make this work. But when they see me on my laptop, locked in my room for 12 hours a day. They're like, yo, what are you doing? You're wasting your time. So a lot of those conversations, but um, I just had to, you know, prove them wrong, basically. What did, what did they think once you actually started making money and you had these great months? What was, what was their thought process then? Um, well, I didn't really tell them, like, for a while. I just ended up moving out. And, um <laughs> Like I never really told them how much money I made until I like, kind of recently. <laughs> yeah. That was probably at least a sign. Like, oh, he's got his own place now, so something's yeah. He's got something. Yeah, yeah. So, what you only told them when you sold the business? Yeah. Um, before that, I had moved into like another apartment, and they were like, "Oh, like this is a nice apartment." So they were kind of just like, "Oh, okay." Like he knows what he's doing, so they those conversations stopped pretty quick. They were upset when you dropped out of college, though, right? Yeah, well, they didn't know I dropped out. I told them I was just oh. taking a gap year. I mean, I'm still on a gap year, technically. So. <laughs> oh, you still <laughs> it's a gap year that's four years in the making. Yeah. <laughs> and now you could go back and teach marketing. <laughs> yeah, maybe. That would yeah. be cool. Yeah. Awesome. So we, what would you say, John, because um, uh, we've had some conversations about it, but I guess what would you say as far as are like the – the key aspects that you learned that really drove the success of the company? Yeah, I would say I got good, and I, I'm not saying I'm world class or anything, but I got good at one skill, and that's direct response marketing. That was my edge in the in the business that I grew. Um, I think a lot of people who are trying to start businesses and stuff they don't they focus on a lot of different things at once, 
versus trying to get really good at one thing. And that one thing doesn't have to be marketing, but it should be something that is a needle mover. So define direct response marketing for anybody who's listening that might not know what that is. Yeah, so to put it simply, um, you have like brand marketing, brand awareness marketing, and then you have direct response marketing. So if you think of how bigger companies do their advertising, like McDonald's, Starbucks, like all that stuff, it's just like brand awareness. They're not really trying to get you to take an action right now. Mm-hmm. That's what direct response does. It cuts through all the noise and it's just like straight trying to get a sale right now. And what, what channels did you use primarily to, to drive your business? Were you using Facebook or Google ads or TikTok or all the above? Yeah. So I started off with Facebook, didn't get any sort of success, started trying some other traffic sources. And then eventually I was like, okay, like let's just hammer home on one traffic source, get really good at that with direct response. And that was Facebook. How did you get good at direct response marketing? Was it trial and error or did you have a, did you have a teacher? Was there a course? Do you have a mentor? Like, what was the what was that learning curve like for you? Yeah, a lot of trial and error. Um, my mentors are all old guys who are not no longer with us. So just like old books and stuff, old authors, old direct response guys. So those are the guys uh, who I learned from. Any 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 ones you would recommend? So you read books and learned how to do Facebook marketing because I don't I think you'd be the first person that figured that out then. Yeah. Um, so Gary Halper, Eugene Schwartz, those sort of like OG direct response guys are the ones that I, but they weren't, they weren't doing Facebook, right? You just, you took their, you took their direct response marketing tactics and applied them into, into this channel. Is that right? Yeah. So it's all about fundamentals. So the tactical stuff always changes and evolves year to year. So Mm -hmm. like, the best Facebook ad strategy might change next week or whatever. You're going to have to click different buttons, but the fundamentals of advertising and direct response are always going to remind, are always going to remain because they're just based on human psychology. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So you're talking about like, is there an interest? Is there, is there a desire? And then is somebody willing to take an action that that's kind of the fundamentals, right? Yeah, pretty much. That's super cool. Was there a pivotal moment, or I guess, let me even back up a step. When, when did you start thinking about the ability to sell your business, right? Because you, you, you started this business, you had a few that didn't work out. This one starts to scale, you move out of your house. You know, at what point do you think, um, hey, this could be a business, not only that I'm, I profit from, but that I actually sell and create some, some real wealth from? Yeah, so I had heard early on that people have sold their business. So that was always in the back of my mind. I didn't really start considering it until like two years into the business where I was just kind of ready to start something new. And this was the main reason why I sold the business was I was ready to start something bigger, better, take my learnings from the current business and move it on to something um, that I could really go really deep into. Nice. So how did you get introduced to Lenny and Doug and website closers? And you know, how did you kind of come to, to us? Yeah, so I was looking online. Um, I just typed in website brokers and stuff like that. Talked to a few brokers before. Um, I was just kind of iffy about them. No like glaring issues from the other people that I spoke to. But came across website closers. And it was like a Friday night at like 9 p.m. And I was like, okay, let me submit a form. 
And then Doug got back to me that same night, like 20 minutes later. And I was like, oh man, I'm going to work with these guys. They're working on a Friday night. I'm surprised it took Doug like 20 minutes. He's usually quicker than that. Yeah, I must have been showering or something. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, and then I spoke to Doug and Lenny. I was like, okay, I want to I wanna work with these guys. And did you have, when you when you had that conversation with them, did you already have a value in mind or like a, a number that you wanted to exit for? Or did they kind of work up a valuation for you? And how did that kind of compare to what your expectations were? I had rough numbers in mind, but I hadn't gotten... Uh, an actual valuation from anyone up until that point. Um, so when they came to me with a multiple and the valuation that they, that they had, I was like, okay, like this makes sense and I'm on board with it. Nice. And, and Lenny and Doug, um, when you guys looked at the business, were there, were there like attributes that stuck out to you or what kind of things were you kind of keying into to come up with the valuation? Uh, I would say, um, you know, the, the growth rate was definitely very impressive. Um, the profit margins also, you know, it, he really built, uh, um, you know, the, the customer, um, the recurring um, revenue um, as per um, reorder rate. Um, there was really a lot of variables there that we felt increased, um, you know, via intrinsic value that, you know, maybe won't be seen on, um, you know, on a multiple or, or you know, with the, with the financials per se, but, um, but we felt that would definitely support a higher valuation. So, um, so that's why uh, Doug and I felt that um, we really could give him um, a, a valuation, a feasible one that would be at the top level of, um, of the market. Yeah. yeah. I think Isaac, I think the only challenge that we had and every, he, he checked every single box. We loved the company, fantastic brand. The only challenge was the age of the company. I think at the time of listing, it had been around, John, maybe a little bit more than two years, close to two and a two, half. Yeah, two and a half years. So, uh, and he was at such a high growth rate that what we did, Isaac, was go out on a pro forma and forecast through um, through the end of the year and say, okay, this is where you're going to be. And John, I remember we talked to him about this. He gave us uh, three different options. He said, okay, here's conser- conservatively where I'll be. Here's what I can most likely do. And here's with a little bit of luck. And he gave us each one of these. I'm like, this guy is sharp, you know, not only marketing, but financials. Um, and he hit, he hit all those targets. So it really, uh, it made us feel good about giving him that higher valuation. So you hit the, uh, the stretch goal. Is that what you're saying? Or, I think did, so. you, or did, yeah, you yeah, middle, yeah. did you remember, did you use the middle estimate or did you use the stretch goal or did you use the conservative estimate for the valuation? I think we used the middle. We used the middle for the valuation and he exceeded it. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. So we checked in every month, um, and 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 you know as far as where he was, and he was either um, hitting monthly targets or exceeding them. That's done. Okay. And a couple of things I think that I would mention around this this business, and then I want to get into some of the specifics of how the transaction went. But um, you know, when I looked at the company, you you had a, a a consumer product in the healthcare space. You know, a really strong like forty dollar average order value. Doug mentioned, or uh, Lenny mentioned the growth rate, 140% year-over-year growth rate and and some really good kind of demographics around your customer engagement. So, you, you know, 100,000 email subscribers and 23,000 Instagram subscribers and over 20,000 Facebook subscribers. So, you know, those are all things that um, create loyalty to the brand and then and drive valuation. So from the time that 
the deal was launched to when it closed. What did that process look like? And what did that feel like for you, John, as you went through the, the process and started talking to buyers? Yeah, so it was a long process. It was longer than I expected. Um, total process was probably eight to nine months. So started working with Doug and Lenny in November of last year and then had a couple LOIs in January. One deal ended up falling. Th- I actually don't know if I should say that. You can say that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah so a couple deals in January, one fell through. So that added to the timeline, probably added two or three months to the timeline. And then um, went back with the guy who was the second LOI in January. And then due diligence was uh, probably four or five months. The One of the things that I found is that the, the due diligence process is for, for sellers that haven't sold a company before is often a lot more intense and involved than expected and, and like a lot more detailed. How did that, how was it going through due diligence for you on your first exit? And, you know, were there any surprises there? Well, I expected there to be a lot of work. So I wasn't, um, I wasn't too surprised with the workload that I needed to put in for the due diligence. Um, so no real surprises there, but it was a lot of work. Like I had to do a lot and stay on, on top of everything day to day. And, and, yeah. uh, yeah, go ahead, Doug. Isaac, one thing I was going to say on that, one thing that there's a lot, of course, about <clears throat> what John's accomplished that is really impressive. But I think one thing that um, is kind of just an interesting anecdote was John's, uh, a, a lot of times during due diligence, it's a very emotionally charged time. Things happen, deals fall through and they come back together. Um, John, it's a very emotionally charged time, but John was very stoic the entire time. I think he was very level-headed. Um, he just displayed uh, an emotional maturity that you don't <clears throat> often see out of someone at all, much less someone who's 24, 25 years old. So I think that was something really impressive to me. One of the things that always surprises me and, you know, I've closed lots of deals. I've been doing this for over 20 years um, is how emotionally charged the process can be for most sellers. And it's not uncommon for sellers at some point during the, the due diligence process to get, to get pissed off at the buyer for the buyer to get pissed off at the seller, for for them just maybe walk away from each other, you know, and, and a lot of what we do as brokers is try to prevent those situations from occurring. First of all, we try to anticipate when a deal could could break and and get out in front of it so it doesn't. Uh, we try to take some of that uh, um, potentially emotionally charged parts of it out and and facilitate the communication that's got to go on between the parties and the, nego- the the negotiations that have to go on between the parties. Doug said you were you were stoic through the process. I, I, I get the sense that that's probably just your disposition, like you're pretty even keeled kind of guy. Um, but were there times when you had to step back and and say like, okay, that didn't work out, right? You said you had a you had a you had a, a buyer under contract to to buy the company and that didn't go didn't go through that does happen in this process um it's not that uncommon and we have to go back and start over again how was that for you emotionally was it was it a roller coaster how did you kind of manage your emotions through that process is that just something that comes naturally to you or did you have to actively work at it yeah so i mean doug and lenny don't know this but i was actually crying every day um for no i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) i was like wow No, no. Um, I went into the process with the mindset of, hey, if this is meant to happen, it's going to happen. 
So when there were some hiccups, I was just like, okay, like it's just part of the process. Just got to keep plugging along. Yeah. Yeah. We, there was not one point during the process that we had to um, talk him off the ledge, which happens uh, quite often um, in, in deal process. Um, so yeah, no, he, he uh, him, both him and the buyer were very level headed. Um, there was really excellent communication amongst all parties Great chemistry. Yeah. What were some of the surprises for you during the process, John? Like, like either marketing or, or, or closing or, you know, with the deal structure, what were, what was something that sticks out to you is like, I didn't see that coming. I didn't know that was going to happen that way. If anything. Um, Well, one thing that I thought was good about the process was how much I learned about myself and about how I'm operating businesses from talking to a bunch of other people who are trying to build businesses. So I mentioned earlier the um, the awareness factor when it comes to business that comes with experience. Like I reflect on my older businesses um, and I'm like, well, I could have done so many different things better. And when I started talking to people, they really gave me a lot of perspective on what I can be improving on the current business. And I'm like, oh, like that's such a simple fix and um, I'm not doing it. And I think that just comes with, with time and talking to people who are way ahead of you. So that was one thing that was really good, was just uh, a lot more perspective on myself as a leader and as a business owner. So are you saying that running the business gave you that perspective or actually going through the exit process and talking to potential buyers gave you perspective on, on how to run your business and grow as an entrepreneur for your next endeavor? Yeah, going through the process taught me a lot. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think... So with that, have you started another company yet? No, not yet. Um, been pretty hands-on with the transition. Yeah. So I haven't had a whole lot of time, but I'm trying to soon. I mean, it's not on my to-do list for today. I don't know if I'll get to it, but yeah. We'll Literally your to-do list today says start a new company? Yeah. yeah. Just casual yeah. podcast, start a new company, take my dog yeah. outside. <laughs> yeah. What, yeah what, what else is on the to-do list for today? Um, make a billion dollars. I don't know if I'll get to that, but we'll <laughs> call, call us when you do. We'll be I'm going to put that one. You guys I'm, gonna, I'm gonna put that one on my list right now. <laughs> you got to manifest. That's a good one. <laughs> what can you tell us about that the transition process and what you've negotiated with uh, with the buyer? You know, how long are you kind of staying actively involved in the business? What what's what's your role? Are you providing training? You know, what does that look like? That part of the deal. Yeah, so I'm pretty much on as a consultant. Um, we agreed that. I agreed with them like, Hey, like I'm going to help you guys transition the business. But the reason why I'm selling the business so I could go and start my own thing. So I don't want to be booked up for the next year, you know, just working with you guys all the time. And, um, so that's very straightforward. They understand that. So for the first couple few months, I'm going to be pretty hands-on helping them, um, learn everything that I've done, make sure everything's transitioning smoothly. And then after that, um, I'm going to be pretty, I'm going to be like in a, uh, my my role is going to be like a board member, so I'm just going to meet with them once a month or so, make sure everything's running smoothly. So is it kind of like three months active transition, and then and then you're going to move into a board role, or yeah, pretty much something like that. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. very cool, good. Yeah, and John, I think are you training any any replacements for what you were doing with the company before? Now, granted, you did a really nice job of removing yourself from the business, but mm-hmm. I know the buyer had spoken about, hey, I've I've got this person I want to bring in. Um, so what does that look like right now? 
Yeah, they've already hired like three people to fill wow. roles. Um, so I've been working with people to just teach them my daily processes, monthly processes on how to run certain things. Yeah, and that was going to be a question that I had. It has working with the buyers through the transition. Have you have you learned from them about how they're running your business on th- things that you can apply to your next venture? Yeah, I mean, I've been taking a lot of notes on things I've learned from them. So a lot of um, a lot of organizational stuff, a lot of team focused stuff. Um, hiring, I've been learning a lot of stuff for hiring. They're a lot more analytical than I am, and that's something that I need to take forward for my future ventures and just really make sure that the numbers are always in front of me, making sure that we're making a lot more decisions based off of the data that's coming in. I remember uh, me and Doug spoke about that that. Uh, about the buyer that, you know, he was a very, se- he's a very seasoned guy and, and his team and all that, um, that you would be able, you found value in that and, 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 and what you could learn from them beyond the valuation and, and, and proceeds that you were receiving from the sale. Yeah, exactly. I was like, man, I can learn a lot from these people. Um, and it's just and be such a valuable experience that a lot of people, you know, don't have the privilege of of having. So I was really excited and it's really turned out how I expected it to be. It's really interesting to me. One of the things I have, I've found interesting over the years is that once an entrepreneur sells a company, they're exponentially more likely to sell another company. And I think part of that is because the learning process you go through in selling a company just tease it up so that it's way easier to do it the second time. You already, you know, going into your next company that you can sell it, you know, you know what a lot of buyers are going to be looking for, you know, the questions you're going to be asked, you know, how you set up your first company. And so I think it's, it's, it's a part of the process that is easy to undervalue is that the education that you get going through a sale process really can create a ton of value for you in your next venture. Now you have to go out and make that happen. Yeah. It's still, that's still being created by you. But if you can leverage that knowledge, it can be extremely valuable on your next exit. The other thing that I've seen over and over and over again is that sellers that have founders that have exited one company, the second exit they have is almost always bigger than the last. Third exit is almost always bigger than the second. Usually exits get sequen- sequentially larger. Now, sometimes somebody will have a huge exit you know, in the middle somewhere. I just got done with another podcast of a guy who had five exits and his third company sold to Microsoft for a really big number. Um, you know, and his fourth exit was smaller than the third, but, but in, in, in most cases, um, the exits continue to get bigger because for one, you have more capital to invest so that when you go out and start a new business, you'll be able to accelerate that process. You know, you're not going to be living in your parents' house. You've got, you've got the benefit of knowing who to hire, how to set up your company. That stuff's all figured out. And you've got a little bit more money to put behind it to scale it quicker um, or more quickly. And so the likelihood of you having an even bigger exit two or three years from now is significantly higher now that you've done it once. You've got you've made a deal and had it be successful. Have you thought about that? Is that something that does that resonate with you as like, yeah, I feel like that will be the case? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything you're saying right now is like what what my thought process has been like. Another reason why. I decided to sell was because the company that sold was bootstrapped. So I felt like I was coming from a scarcity mindset when it came to building out the team necessary to take it from point A to point 
uh, Z or whatever. Um, and I, I, I don't, I don't want to go and reach out to investors and I, I just didn't want to go that path. So now that I have capital to work with, I feel like I can come from more of an abundance mindset and think really long term instead of being strapped for cash. And that's not even counting the knowledge that you gain throughout the process. You you yeah, exponentially more when you combine that with everything you learned. So it's it's definitely an exciting time. Yeah, one thing the process has taught me is the wealth generation, uh, the wealth building comes from the liquidation of assets versus um, like just the cash flow because the cash flow is going to be a lot slower than like that one paycheck that really like sets you sets you up. Um, and the graph is always like, if you're, if you're paying attention to your net worth and how much money you're making, it's like slow, 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 and then paycheck. And I feel like that process is going to repeat itself over the next decade or so, just the liquidation. John, anything, um, you know, that, that Lenny and Doug did or website closers did that you felt was like really, really helpful, exceptional, and kind of helped you get over the finish line? Yeah. I mean, just always being there for any of my questions. Cause it was a, it was a pretty steep learning curve with all the stuff that came up and I always had questions and they're just always there without hesitation to answer my questions and help me through the process. So super grateful for you guys. Cool. And, and that doesn't change now. We're still here. If you, if you ever want to chat and I hope you have a great time. And Isaac, by the way, John, the timing just worked out perfectly. John, if you want to tell him you sold the business, then Next thing you know, you're now in California for a month or two. Yeah, so my lease ended. Um, and then so the closing date was the 31st of July, and I was moving out the first. So it was just like a whole new chapter. It's just funny how things worked out. Within yeah, man. One day. Yeah. yeah. That's a good day. Yeah. August 1st. You should uh, mark that in your calendar and have you – can, you can have a toast every year on August 1st. Yeah. New holiday. Yeah, right? Love it. August 1st comes, you move to California, just close and sell your business. Was there any like celebratory purchases you made? Have you, have you bought anything cool or fun or made any investments with the proceeds? Yeah. So, um, someone I talked to, they didn't end up buying the business. Um, but someone who was a potential buyer spoke to him, um, successful guy. He told me, he gave me the advice to set a percentage, you know, like 10% or something of the total purchase price and just like, you know, spend it on something dumb. Um, so I was like, okay, like I kept it in, in mind. Um, so when the time came, I was like, you know what? Like maybe I should do this and just like enjoy some of the money. So I bought a car. What kind of car did you get? I got a 911. Nice. Classic. Good choice. All right. So you're, so you're in California. You got a brand new 911, new apartment, transitioning your company and you're thinking about what your next uh your next endeavor is going to be yeah sounds like a good setup to the second half of this year and um i think you got you got a lot of great things coming for you thank you all right that was john rodriguez on the deal closers podcast and i'm sure we're going to see him again very soon Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Deal Closers podcast brought to you by WebsiteClosers.com. If you like the show, be sure to rate us, write a review, press the follow button, and share it with your network. And of course, if you're looking for help selling your e-commerce business, be sure to visit WebsiteClosers.com. This episode was edited and produced by EarFluence. 
I'm Isaac Porter, and we'll see you next time on the Deal Closers podcast.